Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133, and on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. on this Thursday. You know, I don't. You know me. I, I the the kind of baseball that was played at Minute Maid Park yesterday is not something I enjoy. I mean, every once in a while, it's okay. But when a team is trying to find its way, like the Astros are right now, they're just been struggling for three or four weeks now. Um, it's um, it, it's you know Christian Javier is supposed to be right now your second best pitcher and. Probably the worst start, you know, performance of his short career. He hadn't been around that long, but that, and you know, it's gonna happen. I get it, but that was awful. Like he had no idea where he was throwing the ball. None, none. Fortunately, and look, they should have scored more than ten runs because the Mets pitched terribly. McGill was terrible, and. You know, the Astros have a chance to deliver the coup de grace. Dubon comes up, first pitch, double play. They have, you know, they have a chance to, uh, runners on the corners and one out, and McCormick comes up and just has a horrific at bat. Swings at three balls, not even close to the plate, strikes out on three pitches. They still did not do a great job with runners in scoring position. They had a lot of opportunities, should have scored a ton of runs. But they got enough. So they got the win, two-game winning streak going into an off day, which is is good, back to where, you know, they were for, for like for a long stretch there, they were great on getaway days. And then they kind of went into a tailspin recently, so they're back to that. The little MVPs, I was hoping they'd play three or four games against the Punks because I don't think they would beat the Punks. Um and the Punks swept their little two-game. I hate two-game series. I, I, I'm not a big fan of two-game series and four-game series. I like I like uh, three-game series. But the, um, the little MVP, Scott, I don't think they did. Well, they didn't score a run against the Punks. Um, you know, the, the Punks' bullpen has been a real problem. And, uh, you know, Kershaw pitched great. Yesterday was more of a bullpen game. And the bullpen that's been the biggest weakness for them is was fabulous. So, And Freddie Freeman hit a pretty long home run to left center field off of Shohei, and they got the win. So, we'll, uh, you know, it's summertime, so we're going to talk about baseball, certainly. But uh Obviously, most of the eyes around here or many of the eyes around here are on the College World Series. LSU defeated Wake Forest. And look, it's baseball. 
obviously anything can happen. I mean, 12 games ago, who thought the Reds were about to win, what, 11 in a row, and uh, and the Giants were about to win 10 in a row? Like, no one knew that. No one thought that 12 games ago. Anything can happen. But with that said, I mean, Wake Forest just, they, they, they can't field and they can't hit. They can't field or hit. Now, they've pitched fine. You know, they came in with the reputation of being the best, and the statistics to prove it, the best pitching team in the country. And I don't know that I, I don't know that they aren't. It seemed like they probably are. I mean, they're, they've pitched fine. It's not like their pitching has been bad. It hasn't been, like, superhuman ter- terrific, but it certainly hadn't been bad. I see the pitching thing. But other than the first baseman, like, you know, he's a good first baseman, I agree, but like they're the re- they have not been a great defensive they have not had a great defensive World Series. And their hitting has been atrocious. And it's not like they're facing like the best pitchers in the country. <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, obviously the pitchers that are getting them out deserve a lot of credit. They do. They deserve a lot of credit. But you know, the middle of their order, like Les brought up, I mean, it's two for 30 with 15 strikeouts. That's not against a bunch of Paul Skeens guys or Paul Skeens-like guys or like anybody who's as good as any of their own pitchers. So I just, look, can Wake Forest win tonight? It's baseball. They have a good team. They won a lot of games. Certainly they could win, but. Is there really any re? I mean, from what we've seen, LSU has looked better than Wake Forest. They just have. Wake Forest just, I don't see it. They look scared. I, there's no reason to believe other than, again, it's baseball. We've Anything can happen. We get that. But there's no reason to believe that LSU, that Wake Forest players are going to rise to the occasion more than LSU's players are going to not play scared and rise to the occasion. There's no reason to believe that. Like, we've seen nothing that shows that. Now, again, if Louder goes out and pitches a shutout, can they win? Of course they can win. But... I mean, they have they have they haven't played a good game in this series. Like, when I say a good game, they haven't played a game in the World Series where we say, "Whoa, that that was impressive. That that was an impressive performance." They haven't. They haven't had one impressive performance. Yeah, they beat LSU. It's a great win, but it wasn't an impressive performance. There are they just in even in that game, there were three or four defensive plays. They didn't look good. So, again, the the. One of the things about baseball that's different than the other sports, and we talk about this over and over again, is how different two games can be. So certainly they could play great. They could pitch great. Now, when we spoke with Koki yesterday, Koki seemed pretty convinced that Skeens is not pitching, and other people have kind of – echoed those same question marks since yesterday's show. 
Um, the announcers last night sure seem to think that it's going to be Skeens and Louder today. Uh, a lot of people seem to be thinking that. Now, again, the logic of if they pitch in this game, if they pitch in the next in the championship series, it won't be full pitching. But again, we don't know. I mean, it. If I'm LSU right now, yesterday I was thinking you have to pitch scheme. Like, again, I was really shocked at how strong Cokie's stance was. And you're referring to in tonight's game. Right. But does it take schemes to get this Wake Forest team out? I mean, you got to ask yourself that question right now. Because remember, if you're LSU, you're not playing for the novelty of getting to the championship series like a Wake Forest might be. I mean, if you're LSU, you're playing to win the national championship. So does it really take schemes on short rest to beat to shut down Wake Forest's offense? I, I don't know. You have to ask yourself that question. Well, um, I th- I'd be careful about lumping three games in over a 61-game sample size that came before it. Now, I do think... None of those games were played in Omaha. No, I get it, but I I think there's a little bit of an overcorrection on either side of it. They haven't been good, and the middle, the three, four, five guys who were their best hitters all year have been horrible, no doubt. But I would be careful to, you know, not think about the 61 games that came before and the 22 runs they scored against Alabama. And I get the ballpark helped that, but the teams they faced also were playing in those ballparks. I think that... That sometimes we start not thinking about. No, that. no one's. I don't think anybody's really questioning their pitching. Right. I, I don't. I don't think that's the For issue. Sure. They just looked. Now the other thing that we have to keep in mind, and I know we're building things up because that's what we do in the sports in America is build things up bigger than they probably are. But what are the chances that either Skeens or Louder are going to be Skeens or Louder? Like they're not going to. More than likely, they're not going to be their normal selves. Or at least they're not going to be able to probably maybe be as strong after pitch 80 and 90 as they normally are. So we have to keep that keep that in mind, too. Even if they both pitch, it, 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 it's very possible they're not going to pitch at their normal level. At least, like, maybe early on they will, but once you get to pitch 80 or 90, if they let them go that far, they may not be as effective as they normally are on pitch 80 and 90. Let's take a, um, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Footsie. Yes, sir. Footsie, I'm trying to figure out if you don't go with schemes, who do you go with? I, I mean, they have got to be at the, I mean, I know there's Blake Money that hasn't thrown hardly any, but. I think Blake Money threw a pitch last night and he took him out. I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to figure out if you don't go with Skeens, and I understand the reason them for not going with Skeens, but if you don't go with Skeens, who is there? Well, that's, that's, I, I don't know, but again, who thought Ackenhausen was going to do what he did? Not, and look, Ackenhausen has pitched well in relief. He has. But, but I mean, 
I mean, who thought Herring was going to do what he did last night? No one was saying, no one was saying, well, Herring can pitch. Well, I, no one thought he was going to do what he did last night. Well, I don't know who else was left down there. I guess there's Will Helmers and there's Money and there's Skeens. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. There's no novelty for LSU going to the championship game or to the championship series as it is now. I guess if you if you went to a championship series now, I guess it would be Floyd first and Ackenhausen second. I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a I, like I said. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know who he trusts anymore. And you know, give Ackenhausen credit. I mean, when he went to Ackenhausen, he, he I mean he did a great job. I mean, you got to give that guy credit, and you got to give Heron credit yesterday. Look. But they they were their backs were against the wall and they were just hoping anybody would deliver. So I don't know for t- I, I I really don't but, know. But, and, but and the other thing, it right? No, it, it's not. Look, I was thinking it was a it was a pretty black and white, clear cut thing yesterday. After Koki took the strong, he's not pitching stance that he did. I was trying to think about like why is he told all the reasons so there, there you can easily develop a solid reason why you wouldn't use him I get that more than I did it yesterday I was just thinking you got to use him I wasn't thinking about the days and when the chance and all that so um but the other thing is here's what you don't want to happen Skeens because he's on short rest becomes a five inning pitcher and then even if you win, you've kind of wasted them, and you've you know you you got you got three quarters or sixty percent of skeins in this game. And I guess if you win, you say, well, it's worth it. But but and then you get like forty percent of skeins in the next series. You know what I'm saying? It I I don't know. That's a tough. That's a. It's well, not. It's a lot more gray than I thought. Yes. Well, okay. If you if you go skeins five innings today, how much are you gonna get out of them in the next series? Right, that's what I mean, I'm saying. May, maybe an inning in, in game three. That 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 I mean, that that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's it, it's pretty complicated decision, and it's it, it's look. I have no problem with rec- needing pitching depth, but the other thing is Johnson's um, faith in the lineup has been has been proven true. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I agree one hundred percent with you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I mean, Wake Forest been, has shown me nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's been proven true. So we'll see, but I gotta, I gotta get to a break. I appreciate the call. All right, Footsie. All right, again, I said this yesterday. We're going to be having a nice opportunity to speak with uh, Derek LeBlanc. Played at Brobridge High School and is currently the defensive line coach for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll do that next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We're going to take a little bit of a shift from 
talking about LSU and the College World Series to a little football talk. Uh, I'm, I'm old, so I've covered a lot of high school football players, and one of the great players that we covered many years ago is stayed in the game and is now the defensive line coach for the Arizona Cardinals, Mr. Derek LeBlanc. How are you, sir? Hey, Kev. What's going on, man? It's great to get an opportunity to catch up with you. And first of all, congratulations. What a um, a fun career you've had. Do you ever just kind of pinch yourself and kind of in disbelief at how well things have gone for you over the years? Man, you know, actually I do, man. It's been it's been a, a long, enjoyable career. I've been having a great time with it, man. And, uh, you know, every now and then you got to look yourself in the mirror and, and, and tell yourself how fortunate you are, you know? Before we get to where you are now and where you've been as a coach, I, you know, I've covered high school sports in this area for a long time, and um, and so I, I want to have a few memories. You you played in what the early '90s at Brobridge. I mean, you were part of a, uh, uh, you know, back then and for years, Brobridge was known for great defense, and you were on a defensive line with. Clifton Sylvester and yourself and all kind of great defensive players. Uh, tell us a little bit about your memories from your your high school years at Brobridge and some of the people who made a big in, had a big influence on your career. Well, I mean, I tell you what, I mean, we had some some really good players. You mentioned guys like Clifton, who was way better than I was. I always had to compete with, and and he kind of set the bar for everybody. But we had running backs like John McGlory. We had. We had all kind of guys, man. Quarterbacks like Mark Boyer and and just guys like that, man. Reggie Clues, who went to Louisiana Tech. There was all kind of guys that went before us that kind of set the bar, man. You know, and and Coach Mowat especially just always set the presence of being physical. You know, we were always going to be a physical football team. We we're always going to run the ball well, and we we're always going to play good defense, man. I remember just. All the battles in the parish would say Martinville and Cecilia and all the playoff battles with STM and Turlings and all that stuff, man. Look, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And, uh, in fact, I spoke with the high school yesterday at Brobridge, man, and just kind of went through that again and kind of told them how, you know, how important what they what they do is and, and how to cherish those moments, you know, in their high school career, man. It's been fun. Yeah, that, that, that has to be a lot of fun. Again, we're speaking with Derek LeBlanc. And so at what point in that process, or did it happen shortly after you, you graduated at Brobridge, did you, did you say, I want to be a coach? That's what I want to do. Like, wh- when did that happen? You know, I was a sophomore in high school, man. I was in the 10th grade, and I just respected the coaches that we had. But we had good coaches, man. We had – you know, of course, Coach Mowad was the head coach. You know, Dawson Durbin uh, coached for us, Paul Broussard. We had guys like Terry Martin, who's at Laurelville right now, who's the head coach now. And I just remember, like, all the coaches, like Coach Dotrieve at Opelousas, Coach Wackersback, Cecilia, Coach Deli in St. Martinville. And really all I wanted to do was come back to Brobridge, be a coach, and, and, and win state championships, man. Want to go to the Dome, you know, like every other kid wanted to do. And, um, you know, as things went on, actually, I got a chance to do that. I came back from college. I coached at Brobridge for three years. Uh, we had some great players, too. And we had Dominic Davis there as our tailback. You know, we had Shelton Parker playing corner. I mean, guys that can roll, man. Um, 
and uh, just got to college just a little later. You know, Coach Mo gave me his blessings and said, hey, man, go and check it out and try it out. And it's kind of been a, a roller coaster ride since then, but it's been fun. So you started out and, and coached it with like a lot of coaches in the NFL. I think a lot of people don't realize that not every NFL coach played it you know, Ohio State or Florida or LSU or Alabama, a lot of them started their careers at smaller schools, and you did. You coached at Henderson State and Arkansas Tech and Missouri State. Um, Talk about those experiences, and then I guess getting the um, assistant strength coach at LSU, is that what kind of opened the door to bigger and better things, or how did that play out? Well, you know, a guy named Carl Dunbar, <clears throat> he was a good friend of mine right there from, from Plaisance, Louisiana. Right. Uh, played at the LSU, and he was an assistant strength coach at LSU at the time in 2000. And he played for a guy named Pete Jenkins, who was a phenomenal defensive line coach. Um, and Carl actually helped me get in there um, as, a, as a grad assistant in the weight room. And I knew I wanted to coach football, but it kind of got me in the door. And uh, from there, I got a chance to meet Coach Jenkins. And uh, and get under his wing, and uh, from there I took the Division two job at Henderson State and coached Division two ball for a while, and just kind of you know climbed the ladder. But man, look, everybody that's helped me in my career were people that I knew, either a coach that coached me or uh, a friend that a teammate or a friend like Carl, who at the time I barely knew, you know. Dave was the guy that got me hooked up with Carl through Mr. Ricks. Right. <clears throat> and I met Carl. I actually met Carl at a Raging Cajun basketball game to talk about it. And uh, he came through and got me in with Tommy Moffitt. And, uh, and the rest is history, man. It just took off from there. So you ended up coaching in the SEC a couple of three years at Kentucky, coached at Arkansas. What, did you – First of all, what was the coaching in the SEC after, I'm sure, a lifetime of watching SEC games like? And then uh, what what made you think, well, I don't want to be a college coach now. You know, uh, maybe the NFL. Like, how did all that t- play out? Well, you know, I, I you know, I love the SEC. Of course, growing up, you know, every kid in Louisiana wants to be an LSU Tiger for the most part until we figure out we're not good enough. But, uh <clears throat> But I, I, I coached, I, I, of course, GA and LSU. LSU hired me back in 2008 as an assistant strength coach and kind of an assistant D-line coach uh, with Coach Miles. And then I went on, and I ended up a few years later at Kentucky and um, coaching three years there, like you said. I took the Arkansas job because I thought we can get closer to home, man. I'm, I, love, I love where I'm from. I love Bro Bridge. So I wanted to get a little closer to Louisiana so my mom can come and watch more games. Right. Uh, and then, and my son Dayton was playing at North Texas. I figured my wife can get to him a little bit sooner or, or more often and watch him play. And we took the Arkansas job where after a year, I actually got fired from Arkansas. So um, I know they put out there that I left for NFL opportunities, but they actually let me go. And I spent a year off, which was a really good recharge year. Um, and even after that year, uh, I couldn't find a job. And I took an analyst job humbly at LSU as an, um, a defensive line analyst. And I was only there for two weeks, and the Dolphins called. And they offered me an assistant D-line job. 
which is a great opportunity to get into the NFL because had I been working at Arkansas, nobody would even think to offer me a job. Right. You know, in the NFL. So it was it was kind of God's plan and God's doing. And uh, after one year of being an assistant D-line coach with the Dolphins, um, I got a few interviews. I interviewed with Detroit Lions uh, in February, and I interviewed with Arizona uh, the next day. And I was on a plane that evening heading to Phoenix, man. So it's been a roller coaster ride. I, I, I know what this job entails. There's some hirings. There's some firings everywhere you go. And you just have to stay in the race, man, and just keep keep fighting. Uh, but it's been it's been good, man. It's been an interesting two years, to say the least. All right. So, did you have a relationship or, a, or, or, or some sort of connection with Coach Gannon, or how did that happen? What was the connection with Arizona? You know, I uh, I met the defensive coordinator at the combine the year before when I when I just got into Miami. A young guy named Nick Rollins. He's going to be a really good defensive coordinator, and uh, we just talk football, man, and. You know, at the end of this past season, I'd gotten word that John Gannon was was up for the Houston Texans job. So I'm like, man, this is perfect. We can start working on that. I can be close to home. Again, going back to being close to home, uh, that never works out for me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm thinking Houston. My mom can drive up to Houston and watch games, and I got family around. And the playoffs, the, you know, the Eagles getting to the playoffs. And it affects interview processes, you know. And then um, the Texans move on, and Gannon's out of it. He pulls his name out. And then, like, after the Super Bowl, his name pops up again for the Cardinals job. And then we start hitting the phones again, right, trying to get an interview and all that. And uh, it came through. It fell through. And uh, I interviewed with him for about an hour, maybe 45 minutes on a Zoom call or a Zoom video call. And uh, he says, hey, you're the guy we want. We're going to call you back in about an hour with a contract. You're not going to Detroit. And sure enough, they called back, made me an offer, and put me on a plane the same day, man. It was it was crazy. It was a crazy day. So, right. But uh, but that's kind of – I didn't have any relationships with John besides meeting the defensive coordinator at the combine, man. So it's kind of one of those fortunate things for me. Uh, all right. So we're speaking with Derek LeBlanc. Now, there I noticed, and I, I don't know, I didn't even know all of this, there was some familiar name to Louisiana sports fans, uh, football fans on, on that staff. Blaine Goche played quarterback for the Cajuns years ago. Patrick Tony right. was a defensive coordinator at UL not that long ago as the secondary coach for the Cardinals. And even Evan Marcus, who I recognize that name, he, he was a strength coach for the Saints many years ago. So um, the, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a Louisiana connection on that staff. Yeah, man, look, we're trying to figure out how to get Crawfish shipped to Phoenix uh, <laughs> since February, man. Patrick Tony and he married uh, a young lady named Courtney, who was, uh, uh, I think she was kind of a cheerleader skills coach at UL. She cheered at LSU. So she's from Lafayette. So uh, every time we come to Louisiana, we talk about what we're going to bring back, man. And, uh, but we got to go. And then, you know, Blaine, of course, we got a really good good staff there. Uh, a lot of young guys. Uh, and look, Kevin, I'm only 49. They call me the OG on the staff. So <laughs> our staff is really young, um, but very sharp guys. They're going to do a great job. I'm enjoying having Patrick there as well. You know how good a job he did at UL and, and uh, trying to get that thing done at Florida. But uh, I'm glad he's with us, man. It's going to be fun, too. Now, I remember for years doing radio, there was this guy that Big Dave used to call Bruiser. Tell me about him. 
Well, Bruiser is uh, 23 years old now, and um, I couldn't talk him out of coaching, man. So he is he is coaching now. He's uh, he's a grad assistant at University of Georgia, um, and maybe I am telling my age, but uh, the defensive line coach at Georgia now, uh, Trey Scott, was a player for me at Arkansas Tech uh, back in 2005. Wow. So it goes way back. Yeah. So he's always kind of treated Bruiser like family and, and kind of been grooming him a little bit when I'm on his butt a little bit. But, uh, you know, Trey, Trey had the opportunity to bring in a grad assistant and got Dayton an interview, and apparently he did pretty good. And uh, now he's recruiting and, and, and coaching the D-line at, at the University of Georgia. Un- unbelievable. All right, so do you have time to stay for one more segment? No, absolutely, yes. All right, we'll take a timeout because – uh, we are overdue, and I got some more questions to ask. Again, we're speaking with former Brobridge High uh, football star who's been in the coaching profession for decades now, and he's a uh, defensive line coach for the Arizona Cardinals. Want to get to some more lessons he's learned through his um, coaching career as a football coach. We'll be back with Derek LeBlanc next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Again, we're speaking with Derek LeBlanc, former Brobridge High football star, played college football at Northwestern State Natchitoches, and has coached college and high school football and is now the defensive line coach for the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. All right, so what I want to ask, Derek, like when you first started, football has changed a lot in the last two decades. Like when you first started in the position that you concentrate on, on the defensive line, how different are the techniques? Like I can only imagine guys like coach Delahousy and Moad. I see NFL defenses where all these defensive linemen are standing up and all. It just looks totally different than what we grew up with. How different are the techniques now than when you first started? Well, you know, Kev, fortunate for for me and the D line, it hadn't changed very much. I think I think what's changed is is uh, the rules have changed. Uh, the the rules on tackling and uh, it's an offensive game now. I mean, used to used to hear the the saying that defense wins championships, man. But now everybody wants to see the scoreboards light up. You know, everybody wants to spread you out and sell tickets. And and uh, I think I think the the rules have changed in the favor of the offense. Uh, but, man, for the defensive line, offensive line, I don't think it'll ever change. Uh, it's still it's still physical in there, man. It's, it's, at least I like to think it is. Um, but, obviously, you know, point sale, bro. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to see. I mean, I remember we played Alabama in, in 2011, and the score was 6-9. to nine. You remember that game? Oh, absolutely, and yes. The, the, and – that's a boring game now, you know. That's a boring game now. Everybody wants to see the points, but man, look, I tell you what, I hadn't changed much in the techniques that I teach, and the guys still play well. So, 
I, I really I, I want to keep the game as physical as I can uh, for as long as I can um, before they take away a lot of other things on the defensive side of the ball. So, so is it a misperception that you're having to do a lot more pass rushing than run stopping, or it, 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 is it really just as much run stopping as a priority as before? It just we just don't see it that way as fans and media members. You know, I think if you look at the trend, a lot of guys that are getting hired as head coaches are offensive guys, right? So um, a lot of the promises they have to make are putting points up. But I still think that to win the big one, you still have to be able to run the football. Um, I mean, look at Philadelphia. I mean, I know they fell a little short in the Super Bowl, man, but they were running the ball like crazy. Yes. on Kansas City, and uh, the week before against San Francisco, they ran through San Francisco like they weren't even there. So uh, I think the run game is still significant and still important, uh, but this is the the era of the quarterback, man, and everybody wants to see you light it up. All right, so from you know, you're, you're still kind of just getting your feet wet in the NFL game, but you've been around long enough to know, like, what, what, what's been what's the biggest difference from a coaching perspective and just the way the game is played from the smaller college school that you coached at to big-time college football, which you coached at in the SEC, and now the NFL? What's the biggest difference in those three levels? I think, obviously, the, the level of talent, right? So, um just you're, you're coaching the NFL. You're coaching the best of the best. They're they're handpicked. They're drafted. They're bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. Uh, and even compared, like coaching the SEC, I was like, my God, these guys are humongous. And you get to the NFL, and it's this collection of the very best guys of college football. You know, and these guys' talent levels are are superior to everybody else in the country. I think that's the difference. You know, now the coaching style of it is, I mean, they're they're like prize fighters now. You coach them hard, but you also have to keep them healthy, right? We got to get them to Sunday. So there's there's um, the whole sports science world's creeping into it, where we measure how many reps they get, how you know how much intensity and volume they're getting in practice, and we have to monitor that as coaches uh, so we can get those guys to the field on game day. Um, you know, you're you're leaving a division that's been the talk of the offseason, the 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 um the AFC East with the Dolphins and the Jets with Aaron Rodgers going on on over there. Um, from what you saw with the Dolphins, what do you think of them and the division moving forward? You know, the Dolphins I think are going to be pretty good. I think they're going to have one of the best front sevens in all of all of pro football. That defense is still intact. For the most part, they got a a, a new defensive coordinator in, in Vic Fangio, uh, and I think if they can get uh, Tua back on the field and keep him on the field, I think they're going to be a team to reckon with in that division. And you know that division is is, I mean, it's a quarterback AFC man right now. I mean, this it's a quarterback led league. You know, you know all the top quarterbacks in the league are in that division or in that in that conference. Uh, particularly in that division with Aaron Rodgers going back and Josh Allen, you know, I mean that, that's a tough that's a tough division, man. All right, so if everything works out like you're hoping, 
Uh, do you see yourself coaching in the NFL for the rest of your career? Is that what you want, or are you just kind of going year by year? I mean, kind of what's your your mentality now that you've gotten this good break and you're starting kind of on a new phase of your career? You know, I would love to. Um, I would like. Obviously, we're not in control of any of this because looking at my 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 career path, uh, I wouldn't have if you. Tell me that I was going to coach at Wyoming or in Wyoming. I, I would have said, heck no, you know, yeah. but uh, you never know. But the goal is uh, to stay in the NFL um, unless there's a great, great college opportunity that comes around. But uh, the NFL is the goal, man. It's, it's, the, it's the best of the best. I'm coaching the best athletes in the world. Um, and I, I get to enjoy doing that for the hopefully for the rest of my career. All righty, sir. Well, look, I really appreciate your time. It's great catching up with you. Congratulations on all the everything that's happened uh, in your career, and good luck this season. Hey, Kev, thanks for having me, man. I enjoy it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. All right, it's always great to catch up with somebody who played high school football in the area, who's going on and stayed in the sport and now coaching in the NFL. And congratulations to Derek. And look, uh, I don't even know. Do the, do the Saints play the Cardinals this year? I don't have the memory. The, I don't have the. Um, I don't believe so because they played them last year and. Unless they line up division wise. Yeah, I, I don't remember whether if they played them or not. But the truth of the matter is, I kind of look at everybody that's not the Saints, the enemy, but the Cardinals are one of the organizations. Yeah, there's the Max Hall game, but, uh, you know, in that division, I'd rather them win than anybody else. So I'll be pulling for them in most games they play. Yeah, I was, and and they needed a uniform refresh better than anybody. I'm just not sure they made the right call. I didn't see uniforms. their new uniforms. Uh, they're not horrible. They look a lot like Ohio State's kind Ooh. of a alternate. You know that black Ohio oh, State like uniform. It, they look a lot like those. The black ones do. the The red ones are okay, but here, and we don't have time to get into uniform rant for me. I can't stand when teams have a, the home and the road jersey are on different templates. Like I just that bothers me a lot. Like your your road jersey should be your home jersey in white. And then alternates, then you can have some alternates. But they did that, so that's that's what I'm not a fan By of. By the way, did that, you though, see the good. Detroit Lions new uniforms? Awful. Yes. Not a huge fan there. Oh, I actually, they had one of the best uniforms in the whole league. It's just an alternate. It. It's just an alternate. Oh, it's awful. You're talking about the helmet, right? Yeah. It's just an alternate But the helmet, uniform though. doesn't look the same either. I didn't notice any changes there. I'll have to, re- I'll have to look at that again. Looks awful. Now, again, I'll give them a break. They're the Detroit Lions. Like, if you're the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Celtics or the Lakers, you cannot change your uniform. It's just embarrassing. Saints do not play the Cardinals, confirmed. Um, Just embarrassing. And, look, it's nothing technically wrong with the Lions changing it, but that new helmet is just awful. 
I mean, just awful looking. I, I don't know why you have a great helmet and you move it to a, to a non-great helmet. All right, I want to get back to the discussion we were having before we got the opportunity to interview Derek. And um, to Bitter's point, like who are you going to pitch? And it's a it's a valid question, but I want us to think back to and and I, I want to elaborate kind of on my response to that, even though we were getting kind of towards the end of the segment and we had to we were overdue for a break. But think back to the Cajuns this year and LSU. Like, think of all the pitching decisions that were made by the Cajun coaching staff, especially down the stretch, that none of us, that caught most of us to all of us totally off guard. In other words, we had an idea, uh uh-oh, there's a problem here. What in the world are they going to do? And then they 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 did this totally unconventional thing that most of us ne- or all of us ne- did kind of came out of the blue to most of us, and most of the dis- those things kind of worked. Like I didn't hear anybody, big LSU fans, casual LSU fans, non LSU fans that just follow college base. I didn't hear anybody say Ackenhausen is starting. And he's going to go five innings or six innings. I didn't hear anyone say that. And so I just wonder, I say all that to say, you know, maybe they ha- they've come up with, I'm sure they've co- they got all these scenarios in their mind. Now, look, I thought since yesterday that Skeens is going to pitch. Um, and probably he will. But. If they don't, I I think we have to keep in mind that they have plans, they have confidence in guys, they have contingency plans that probably most of us haven't thought about. I think I don't I don't think we always think that way, but after this policy, after seeing what the Cajuns did with their pitching staff, and then and how this LSU pitching staff that we all thought was so awful is dominating the College World Series. I mean, it is. LSU's offense is not dominating the College World Series. LSU's pitching is dominating the College World Series. Unbelievable. So I think they probably have some contingency plans that we just haven't thought about. Um, but again, to me, whether it's whether now Wake Forest is a little different because they have four to five starting pitchers that they can throw out there that they feel very confident in. But whether it's Louder or Skeens, getting five or six innings out of them, throwing 90 pitches, maybe 100 pitches, and they say, okay, that's enough. We just can't go. And then the game's two to two or one to one. Like I always say in the major leagues, where you going, Cat? The game ain't over yet. Uh, that, that's kind of the, well, the worst case scenario is to lose, but if you win, that's kind of the worst case scenario because you pitch them too much to really be able to utilize either one of them in the championship series. If you happen to win and then they're not really in, they're not really having anywhere near maximum impact. Now, if he, if Skeens throws five innings and you're up eight to two, well, 
it's okay. But at that point, you're like, man, we wasted it. We probably could have won without him. So it's just, it is, um, it is not, and this is not nearly as black and white as I was thinking from a pitching stand, decision standpoint when I woke up yesterday. Really, it's not. Um, I texted an LSU fan friend, and he was like, who's in Omaha, and he's like, yeah, yesterday I did. And he's like, it's it's like everyone's – it's all everybody's talking about up here, and it's about a 50-50 split on people on both sides of the fence. Like some people think they shouldn't pitch him. Some people think they should pitch him. So it's – you know, none of our opinions matter, but it, it it is a lot more complicated than when I woke up yesterday. Because when I woke up yesterday, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said they're pitching schemes. They're starting schemes. And I still think that's what they're going to do. But it's a lot more complicated than than I was thinking. I hadn't really thought about all the scenarios. And when Koki took the all, oh, he's not pitching. He's not pitching skiing stance. I was like, hmm, let's think about this. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337 706 0111-337-706-0111. Open phone lines this entire hour. And um, as we, again, major topic of discussion, LSU versus Wake Forest, College World Series. We talked a little bit about the Astros. Do have maybe a couple football comments uh, from yesterday, if we get time to it, footnote summer project is major league managers. We want to have some more thoughts on that, and we'll do more of that tomorrow. The, how much of that may depend on what goes on in the LSU Wake Forest game tonight. Also, the NBA draft. There was a trade when I went to bed last night. I, one of the last things I saw, probably the last thing I saw, was uh, a tweet that the. Porzingis to the Celtics deal was done. That 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 was that, that was not happening. It was done, and so I wake up and one of the things I see is that it was on again, but with a different teams, different package, and that Marcus Smart is going to the Grizzlies. So of course, my first thought with Marcus Smart going to the Grizzlies is who in the world is going to have the guts to take the last shot for the Celtics next year? Because it was always seemed to be Marcus Smart, even though he wasn't like their first or second or probably even third best offensive option. He was the only one that had the guts to take a shot at the end of a game when it was close, it seemed like. Um, I don't I don't. Why the Celtics wanted Porzingis, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess he fits there. I don't. Didn't quite get that, but uh, we'll see how all that plays out. The, uh, I mean, I kind of the Damian Lillard thing, the impact that the draft could have on Damian Lillard is interesting tonight. 
potentially being on him potentially being traded as a result of maybe what could happen in the draft. That part is interesting. I don't know that anything else is going to. And obviously, I don't know. Maybe there some other blockbuster trades going to take place that uh, you know indirectly, you know, with the draft being the kind of the springboard for it. But it seems like not a lot interesting is going to happen, except for maybe the impact that it could have on a Damian Lillard being traded to whoever. I mean, you know, I've heard the Heat, the Sixers, who know, I don't know, who knows. But the that part is interesting. The rest of it, I don't know. I don't know how interesting it's going to be. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning, stranger. How you been? How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderfully. I hope you're doing the same. I'm trying to. Again, the month of June and for me and into to Football media days come towards the end of July. It's about my old mind decompressing and getting ready for another school year. Well, I've been running around a refinery in East Texas, and it's 105 degrees, so talking to you in the air conditioner is a blessing. Yes, sir. I had no reason to call. I just wanted to let you know, first off, I thought that interview last hour was great. Can't get that anywhere else, brother. You did a great job, and I think it's, had no clue who the guy was, never heard of him. But to be coaching in the NFL is a big deal. And a little kid from Bro Bridge making it that far, it was a – what a great piece, dude. Great job on that. Thank you very Secondly, much, sir. No, I, I, I've – you know, I, I don't – Derek and I don't know each other very well, but um, his um, his son was Big Dave's grandson, so I, 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 knew, I knew actually Dayton – is his name big dave called him bruiser so i knew him a little more than Derek, but certainly remember covering Derek in high school back in the early 90s and clifton sylvester you should know he played for the cajuns uh and they were like you know we had these two monsters on the defensive line you know back when broveridge played really good defense so yeah I've, I've known him known him for a long time well to bring big dave into it really takes it full yeah. circle and makes uh, it a new right. interview so so Really fun job, dude. Good job, especially, what, on a Thursday in the middle of June. So, all, all right, Joe. Before I let you go, though, the, the, again, I, I don't know. You probably weren't listening yesterday, but I asked a question, and I understand, like, all these people keep talking about Z28 and how they Saints have this cool running back. And I, and then I, and I understand it, and all these interviews are acting like he's going to be there. And then I saw it in one, another one again yesterday. Oh, one of the one of the – you know, underrated running back duos in the NFL next year. Williams and Z28, like, what am I missing here? Hey, when it's uh, – he may very well not get suspended this year. The way, Think about how the last one played out. It was a year before they even did the court date, and that could happen again. So, I was listening to a fantasy show yesterday, and they were saying he's going in the 90s, and they're like, this could be the steal of the draft to get him as the – your number four running back. And even if you get him for, for 10 games instead of 16 or 17, it's still at that point, he's still Z28, Kev. And I, I really think with David Carr, you're going to see this guy more involved in the offense again. I just, or Derek, I really think you're going to see him get back. They've been trying to do this for two years with the quarterbacks they had, and they haven't been able to. 
So uh, I really think you're going to see the Saints getting back to the offensive system they really want to run because Carr allows them to do that now. So Well, yeah, the uh, offense I'm, is going to be a lot more polished and better, but that don't mean 41's going to be playing in it. Uh, well, again, it's we'll see. the legal. I'm not going to act like I understand the legal system, how stuff can drag on for three or four years, but I've heard a lot of people that think – even if he does, they think that he may end up playing this year and, and it'll get bumped to next summer. So that gives him the whole season to play. But even if he gets suspended, he misses six games, you still got him for 10. And you can get him as the 33rd to 40th running back off the board. I'd take the pick and put him on my bench and stash him. Well, so, again, fantasy football is a whole different issue. I'm talking about Yeah, I know, but I mean that's where that's where you you get a lot of your info on the players because fantasy's so important, you get some insight into the guys. So, uh I just think that more and more people are saying he may not be suspended that he may not even go to court until the summer uh of next year and you may end up just having a guy settling and the whole thing goes away, which is what our legal system is famous for, which Sucks, but that's the reality to be good for the Saints. But all of a well, sudden, I like okay. our running back room. I mean, I I'm like just the kid saying. we drafted more and more. I like Williams, and I like uh, uh, Kamara. Is still Kamara. I mean, he's had a, a bad year or two, but I, I really think the quarterback situation has, li- has lent itself. Well, no, 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 no question there. Look, I hope you. I hope he's all. He has a great year. He plays 17 games, and we can reflect back on this conversation in like early November and just laugh, have a good laugh about it. But I, I'm just, I can't, my mind cannot go there. I just, I can't get all excited about his role in this offense and then he's not, and then he didn't hardly play any games. After what I've been well, through yeah, the last two years, I cannot go there. Well, don't get excited. And then if he does play, you, you it's just line you up. It's kind of like when with our offensive line, you know, yeah. we got a guy that's been injured and all of a sudden he comes back and, uh, Mike Thomas playing when you're not expecting him to. All those lineup things can get you over the top. But look, real quick, the uh, the World Series. First off, you can't throw skeins, dude. You throw him, he gets six innings. You still got to get through three innings of Wake Forest lineup. Uh, so you can waste them for six innings and still get beat with your bullpen. Where if you save them for Florida, it's pretty much a guaranteed win. And all you got to do is win two. So uh, Skip Bertman used to be famous for ragging out arms for the purpose of winning college games. And I just think it would be, I think you just got to hit your way through it tonight and plan on winning the whole thing. And you need schemes to throw a whole game against Florida. Well, it, it, so it, not, and it's interesting. The, the no, you bring up an yet. interesting, you bring up yeah. an interesting philosophy, but I gotta, I gotta go, Joey. Thanks for the call. Now, yep. Johnson also has a reputation, not, as bad as Skip, but Jay Johnson has a history of, of running arms out there more than what the average person uh, thinks they should. So, no, I think Joey's point is well made. I, I, I'm not saying I, I it's what I expect, but we talked about that a little bit earlier in the show. Like, the worst case, look, obviously the worst case scenario is LSU loses the game and their season's over. At that point, the de- it, it, again, at that point, doesn't none of this matters. If you lose, and you lose, and the season's over, and there's nothing to discuss. But the worst scenario to me is what Joey just said, the point Joey just made. And that's if you pitch him for five or six innings, 
and then the game's tied at two or three or one or whatever, or three to two or whatever, and you lose it, so you use them, you still win, and then you don't have them in the next series. Or if you have them, it's like as a relief pitcher where you could just assume be pitching someone else. Again, complicated issue, a lot of layers here. Point well made. Um, if this is the Astro, of course, pitching pitching staffs in the major league, the dynamic is a little different. If you're LSU, the other thing that Joey said is, you know, I made the comment yesterday that I kind of felt like Wake Forest's offense was due to do something, and it wasn't. Again, they they don't they don't they can't hit or field. They can just pitch. It's weird. Um, so far, how, their performance. Um, LSU's offense is kind of due too. Now, again, it's hard to have this. It's hard to play thirteen to seven baseball against an elite pitching staff. It's hard to do that. I think what has happened so far is just tremendous. It's been baseball. Like every game of the College World Series so far has been baseball. You know, a lot of – I saw on on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever, a lot of LSU people, fans, all upset because Morgan tried to bunt. That's what he's supposed to do. I understand that everyone loves gorilla ball, but that ain't baseball. When when you're pitching tremendous, like you're shutting the other team down, you have a two or three run lead and it's getting late and you got a runner on second and no out, you're supposed to bunt. Now, you're not supposed to bunt a ball that's about to hit you in the eyes. Just pull it back and bunt a strike. I mean, you don't bunt a ball that's way up and in about to hit you in the head. But you're supposed to get that runner to third. That's baseball. And and you it's okay to not play baseball 80% of the time or 90% of your season. That's okay. But when I I am not gonna question. Why in the world would you play baseball when that's the perfect time to play baseball? So I, I can't criticize that. Now, if you remember, we talked about this, and I know softball and baseball are not totally the same. I get that. But they're similar. If you remember, Alexa Langlers, we talked about that in the, in the Baton Rouge Regional. She hadn't bunted it all year long. But when they when they laid the bunt signal down, she got the bunt down, and it led to them beating LSU. Now, I know the scenarios were different score-wise and all, but there's nothing wrong with playing baseball. Never be ashamed of playing baseball, and you should have the ability to play baseball when it's time. And when you're pitching like LSU is, it can cover up not being able to play baseball execution-wise. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Z28. Z28. Now, a running back with great speed and start and go ability, like a Chevy Camaro that plays for the New Orleans Saints, also known as Alvin Camara. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. The game hotline 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. All right, help me out, Dawson. So, like, th- this is going to – I'm not going to be mentally stable, like, until we fi- – like, this whole Z28 thing, I can't go down that road. And all these people keep throwing these darts at me, like, go down that road, go down that road. I'm like, I- look, the last two years have been – agonizing anguish injury after injury after injury yeah no i you gotta know and again i do think we were talking in the break i think there's a chance this gets pushed back and he plays the whole year again like last year we're not gonna know this well and, and we did this whole thing last year like we started the year and said well he might get four or six games but we'll find out and then it never happened and we might be in the same situation because now that it's going to actual, you know, there's a trial and stuff. I mean, that stuff gets pushed back all the time. And and who knows if everything's going to – now, we could get a – it could happen before the season and it could happen in the middle of the year. But the other thing that's really just tough for the Saints' perspective is what happens if he plays the first six games and the offense really looks good and starts to mesh and then you lose him like – it'd be the equivalent of losing him to an injury, but you lose him to this unspecified number of games in the middle of the year – it's just, and then instead, at least if you lose him at the beginning, you you can plan to have him come back. I don't. It's it's tough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't tough. like this. Now, Marcus May. Now you know a DUI is not exactly like this, but it's still a legal proceeding. Marcus May got his DUI two years ago, or even longer. Like he spent the, his last season with the Jets. Nothing happened. Nothing happened last season, so we're thinking it's going to happen this season. But, I mean, with with that, you're looking at, you know, one, two, three games, probably two or three games. With Z28, it could be the whole season. Of course, again, different league, but a lot of people were thinking John Morant was going to get half the season or the whole season, only got 25 games. Now, again, different crime and he didn't even actually commit a crime that was just a protect the shield thing going down the a bad road trying to stop it you know or words don't drink once so you don't have to become an alcoholic kind of thing no this is messing with my mind bad i, I don't like this let's go to the game hotline hello Kevin. yes sir how you doing i'm calling back I was with you yesterday. I couldn't. I can't. I, but but more, I think about it. It's like when you have your meeting this morning. You sit down and you talk to the team. You say, "Look, we this team should have gotten beat by Stanford. If probably if it wasn't for that rain delay with Lauder, we should have beat them the first time without scheme. And we beat them last night without scheme. So why wouldn't we just go ahead on and try so we can have him for?" Florida, and 
have a quick le- a quick leash on whoever we put in there. But let the offense know we really need to see if we can jump on them right ahead quick. Because when you think about it, like I said, I think they would have lost against Stanford had it not been for the rain delay. And Lauder was pitching. Yeah. And they, we had them beat the first game. And, and, David, think about this. You don't really know if you've got the Paul Skeens that you've had all year. Now, I think he's going to pitch better than maybe some people think. But you don't know that you're going to have the Paul Skeens that you had all year because he's pitching on shorter rest, shorter rest for the first time all season. Yep. So I, I say go ahead and start somebody else. And, and basically, as you're talking to your team this morning, say, look, I understand you all are playing as hard as you can, but we really need to jump on this team right away. And just to put the urgency in them that I want, as a coach, I want to get ahead of them right away so that, we, you know, maybe we don't have to use them. But, of course, if we have to use them in the fifth inning, we will. <laughs> you know? But the bottom line is you, you've had two games – where the first one you should have won, you were ahead most of the game. This one you did win. And like I said, Lauder was pitching and Stanford had them. No, it's all fair. You know, I hadn't even thought about that day. You brought up a whole new scenario. Because going back years, I'm kind of open to the pitching backwards thing. You know, the, the kind of the first or second cousin to the whole opener concept. Um. That would be a fascinating way. Even un- That's another option that I don't know that a-, a lot of people have even talked about, if anyone. Don't pitch him. Try to get away with it. And if you need him to close out the last five innings to get you there, then, oh, well, you need him to do it because you ran out of pitching or whatever. But if you can get away with it because you score seven runs in the first inning – um, or whatever, which is probably not going to happen, but along what you're thinking, then – then get away with it, and then you're then you've got the best of both worlds. Yep, that's what I say. I, I, at first, I was with you, but it's like this team was getting beat, you know, before. No, I, I, that's so fair. Let's yes, go ahead and see what we can do. I mean, no use putting him out there if we don't really need him. You know, I, I, so, it's a it's I'm, a fascinating subject. Really, I can see. The, the thing that's great about this debate is there are good points and, and valid reasons no matter which way you go. And yeah. so it, it, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's fascinating. I appreciate the call, but, sir. But great. Kevin, I'm almost to the point where there is no good point to start in him. Wow. Because you don't need him. I mean, you don't know that you need him. Let's say right. That. No, you don't know that you need him. That's so, true. Yeah. So the bottom line is you kind of know you're going to need him in one of those three games, hopefully, probably the first game, but you're gonna, you're definitely going to need him in one of the next three games. And if you use him tonight and don't really need him, you don't have him. For you won't need one of the next three games. So I say just you just go ahead and uh, I don't I don't think there's no no good reason to start him. You know, it's sort of like one of those things like we say when somebody's a little bit dinged up. Why play him if we if we really don't need him? <laughs> you know. Th- thank you for the call. It'll be fascinating to see what they do. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, all right. Now, to to his point. Now, 
seriously, have you heard anybody talk about that option? Of what? Bringing him out of the bullpen multiple times? Bring him out of the bullpen. Don't use him only if you need him to to actually close like the last four or five innings as opposed to pitching the first four or five innings. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because then there's the idea that you can use him again. But I don't know. Again, when you start talking about his ability and his his draft prospect status, I don't know how much that's going to be you know frowned upon or, or thought highly of. I just don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be you know thought negatively of. I do kind of struggle with the idea that I know Wake, you know, didn't look great in in the World Series so far. But are we still really okay with saying the idea that they don't need him against the number one team in the country throughout the year? And what we all agreed was the best team on paper coming into this tournament. And you start somebody out there, and Wake scores eight runs in the first three innings, and then everyone's going, "How did you not throw Paul Skeens?" Well, because you're not playing at Duke in in mid in late March. Right I get now. that. I, I get that idea. I'm just saying, you know, the idea of saying you don't need him against the number one team is a dangerous thing to say, and it might be true. But also, you can win baseball games all the time for weird reasons. I don't know if that would be the right decision, even if it worked out. The other thing about that is, again. You're asking him to do something. Not not saying he's not capable of doing it. He might be the number one pick in the whole draft. But you're asking him to do something if you go that relief route that he hasn't done all season. So, um, again, coaches, some coaches are okay with asking guys to do something they haven't done all season. Some coaches say, I haven't asked a kid to do this all season. Why am I asking him to do it now? I mean, I've heard that thought process, too, with the season. Like bunting? Well, I guess that's fair. So I have no oh, – I am with you. I, I, I think, think you 100% should, but I, should but, try but, to but get but the I bunt think, down. I, I mean, that's a good point, but a hitter bunting is not the same as asking a pitcher to pitch in a different way than he's done all year. Uh, maybe, but I just, and look, the other thing too, is I saw people be, say, you know, oh, well you have, if you don't practice it, like I'm sure LSU bunts at practice every yeah. day. I get that. But there is a difference between bunting in practice and bunting in a game and bunting in a huge game. And, you know, just to compare it to the Cajuns, right? Like they would be no doubt be bunting in the world series all the time, but they bunt every game of the year. So it's not different for them. I just think it's tough to not bunt all year in big spots and then get to the World Series in the biggest moment of your life and go get a bunt down the third baseline for us. It's it's tougher than just doing it. Well, I agree, but I also don't think I also don't think that Coach Johnson would ask someone to bunt who he didn't think could bunt. Like Alexa hadn't bunted all year, but when I asked Coach Glasgow about it, he was like well, I've seen her bunt in practice and in inner squad scrimmages. I know she can bunt. Now that doesn't mean she could, that doesn't mean she, it was a lock. She was going to get it down. Nothing's a lock, but obviously he thought Morgan was capable of getting his bunt down, or he wouldn't have asked him to do it. Like a Cade Beloso may not be able to bunt, but a Trey Morgan. I mean, I know he's a first baseman, but he's not really a. He's not built like a traditional old school first baseman who's this power hitter that doesn't have like hands, you know. So I. Whew, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do for sure. Take a timeout and be back. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Look, I, I you know how I've been saying that it's just not hit, like I listened to Batman's OTA presser and Derek Carr's OTA presser, and I'm like, it's just not healthy. It's just not good for my mental health to listen to that stuff. But I, I did it anyway. You know, it's like you're fat, you know, go on a diet, cat. Like, but I but I eat unhealthy anyway. But now this whole Z28 thing is a whole separate thing. It's like listening to a Derek conference or a Batman, I mean Derek, a Derek Carr press conference or a Batman press conference is one thing, but sitting here building my hopes up that Z28 is going to be Z28 again and actually be able to play and be himself again. I just, on top of, is Plastic Man, Michael Thomas, even going to be there and be himself or is he going to do the one game thing and get her? Oh, man. This is, this is going to be tough to, to, to reconcile all of this. Like, can I really go down that road? And I know you're probably thinking, well, that's what being a fan is. And most of the time, I'm totally okay with that. Like, you know, that's just part of being a fan. You don't, there are no guarantees. Unless Mamu plays John Curtis, then there's a guarantee. But outside of Mamu John Curtis, there are no guarantees. I get that. But, but, If this was, you know, had the Saints been healthy last year and the year before and not gotten totally cheated in 2019, I would be more mentally stable to handle whatever happens, happens. Kind of like, you know, it's more of a hammock kind of mentality. There is no hammock after the last three years of frustration that I've had to deal with. There is no hammock. This is just going to be tough. I just, people keep, it's like Billy Blazowski, these these, these Z28. Hey, fuck, remember this is a hammock season. Just keep coming at me. Just keep coming at me. Like, I cannot deal with that. I cannot go down that road. And now Joey and and them trying to convince me the cat's going to play 17 games. Hello, let's, you're on the air. Kevin, how long have uh, you been a sports writer? Uh, I guess technically since 1983. So how many times do you do press conferences to take notes and, you know, you've done that, like, you know, the weekly press conference, all kind of sports, you've done that. How many times? Probably about 10,000 probably? <laughs> I don't know, but a ton, yeah. Okay, so now, Kevin. Who always tells you the one that says it more? You cannot believe a coach or what they say at the press conference. They're, they're talking out the side all the time. Yes. Yes. But again, these aren't just press conferences and coaches and GMs saying stuff. I I get FedEx man's point. I should know that. What? But again. All, I keep hearing all the, and I know these are just clickbait stories. I get it. I understand. Look, what FedEx man just said makes total sense. I get all of that. But 
I'm trying to reconcile, like, sh- can I really go down that road? And, like, Joey just c- c- calls and, and, and throws out this thing, and Dawson says, well, it's possible. It's possible he's going to play 17 games this year. Like, I cannot go down that road. I don't know that that's really being tricked by a press conference or a clickbait story. It's like I keep trying to not even – I don't even want to consider like like I I entered this offseason with the idea that I don't think it's going to happen necessarily, but I've already in my mind – prepared myself that he's never going to play another down for the Saints ever again. Like, I went into this offseason with that prepare. If it happens, I'm going to be prepared for it. Most of the Saints fans are not going to be prepared for it. Like the 2018 call, it angers me, but I was prepared for it because I've been screaming about that since the 70s. But I'm – so if, if he never plays another down for the Saints – I'm going to be prepared for that. But now they're telling me, y'all are telling me he's going to play 17 games. I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. I merely brought it up as a possibility because it is. But it's just that. It's just a possibility. But, yeah, like it's a possibility that I'm going to lose 50 pounds in the next week, theoretically. But that's not going to happen. So, like, what kind of a possibility is this? (laughs) Well, I'm not a legal expert, so I, I I, I would hesitate to try to speculate on how these go. But from what I've seen in the past, like sometimes these cases, it can be like, oh, well, we'll, t- we'll see you in six months. That's when we're going to decide this case. I just So from that perspective, you sit there and go, well, yeah, it certainly could get pushed back further. But, you know, it's now a year and a half into this situation, right? I mean, this incident happened, what, in 2021? And we still don't have a resolution and we're in June of 2023? It happened at, at the, what, Pro Bowl? So 2022, February-ish of 2022, and we're now in June of 2023, and we've still got no clue. That's crazy. It's just, they're just trying to mess with me. That's what this is all about. They're just trying to mess with my mind. I'm trying to decompress right here. I'm trying to get mentally healthy for the next school year, and y'all are telling me the man's... I'm prepared for he's never going to play another down for the Saints. Y'all are telling me 17 games is a realistic possibility. I didn't even say realistic. I just said possibility. That's all I'll be quoted as. You're saying it's not realistic? No. Realistic is a relative term, but I'm not saying it's a good probability. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Do you realize, and again, here we go again. it's It's not healthy for me to go down this road. Do you realize that... If he can be Z28 again and they stop trying to make a dump truck out of him, like what was that all about, by the way? Like do you think they've real- figured that out in the offseason, whether he plays a down or not, that you know maybe it's a good idea to not make him a dump truck. Maybe they could figure that out. So – if he becomes Z28 and Jamal Williams is what we think he is, I still don't get the Kendry Miller thing, but I hope it works out. But or did they draft Kendry Miller because they know he's gonna he's not gonna get it this year? That would make more sense than them drafting Kendry Miller and not knowing. 
This is just. Look, I, I, I didn't want to even think about it, but I keep keep throwing these darts at these Z28 darts at me. He's playing, he's playing, he's playing, he's starting it. What a great backfielder going to have. What an underrated play. This is a nice combination. Jamal Williams. Thunder and lightning. Boy, we shouldn't have blown that. The original Thunder and Lightning was Chuck Muncie and Tony Galbraith. First round pick, 1976. Second round pick and just blew it. Wasted him. Traded him. Had to watch Tony Galbraith win a Super Bowl with the Giants. Then I got to play the punks this weekend. Man. And stay up late. Series win, though. That's that's Got fun. a series win. That was good. I just, uh, uh, The best thing for me is just never to look at the internet ever. Never hear anybody talk about what could happen. All of this crazy speculation. All right. I need a timeout. We'll take it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. An award-winning journalist. Popular sports talk show host. And a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decide to inflict them with, with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here, here. with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. That's what I need to do. Listen to that whole song. That might calm me down a little bit. Welcome back to Footnotes. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect to hear that today. I didn't expect to have to rationalize the concept that Z28 is going to play 17 games with the Saints this year. Never thought we'd be going down that road, but we we have. Uh, the rest of y'all, or, or m- m- not all of you, many of the rest of y'all are trying to figure out if um, Paul Skeens is going to start. Should he start? Again, when I woke up the day before, I, I, I didn't think I hadn't, it hadn't totally hit me exactly how complicated this issue could be and how many good legitimate arguments and ways of of doing this there could be. And then today we had another one. Our friend David called and said, why don't you do this? If you haven't heard, if you didn't hear David's call, don't use them unless you need them. There's, there's some aspects of that that make me a little uncomfortable, but there's some aspects of that const, that approach that I really like. Because look, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say LSU's offense does erupt. 
because Lauder's not used to pitching on what would is he is it four days for him too? No, they yeah four days for him too. They yeah, pit. only difference is they played at one o'clock if you if you factor yeah. in five extra hours of rest. So let's say his first outing on four days rest doesn't go well. I mean, they're playing the best offense in the country, so it's possible that it wouldn't go well when he's doing these now. So let's say LSU scores nine runs and Paul Skeens pitches 90 pitches over, you know, five innings and you win nine to two, you're going to be going, man, we didn't even need him. I mean, you'll be happy that you won and you're going to, and you're going to be like, we kind of wasted him. But... To David's point, if you pitch someone else and you score a bunch of runs or you pitch someone else and they do uh, their version of what Ackenhausen did a couple days ago, then you're like, okay, it's three to two. It's the sixth inning. We're out of pitching. Bring him in now. Let him close the deal out. But at least you knew you really needed him. I hadn't thought about that. Man, this has been an interesting last 48 hours with all these things I kind of came out of the blue. These ideas just keep coming. And then now I'm hearing that I should be considering the possibility of Z28 playing 17 games next season. That wasn't even in my whole thought process. Ever since the end of the season. I'm, I was like, he's never going to, I'm preparing myself for him to never play another game for the Saints. And now I got to think, well, maybe he'll play 17 games this season. Oh, okay. That, that's an interesting possibility. Let's consider it out. But no, again, the whole fascinating, fascinating deal, what they're going to do. I still say, you say, what do you really think is going to happen? Obviously, I don't know because it's a lot more complicated than I thought. But if you ask me to, you got to put $100 on it. What are you gonna, I'm going to put that they're going to start him. Because which is what I thought before I interviewed Koki yesterday. Um, that's what I think is going to happen. It's pretty obvious that that's what the announcers last night were thinking is going to happen. It's what a lot of people on Facebook think is going to happen. It sounded like it's what Les from Wake Forest is thinking is going to happen. But all these other arguments to the contrary make sense. I mean, there, there, it, there's a lot of sound rationale behind these contrary points of views. Man. I don't know. It will be interesting. What do you think has a better chance of happening? LSU not really needing schemes to win or Z28 playing 17 games? Which one has more or less? A, a more of a chance of actually happening. LSU not needing schemes. <laughs> I thought I had to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Because, you know, I'm thinking he may never play again for the Saints. I'm, I'm prepared for that. I don't think the Saints are. So hopefully they know something I don't. All right. So 
you know, these last two weeks, there's been a lot of points. There's been a lot of storylines that have come up. Think about the last two weeks. All these points and storylines that have come up on the show, totally unprepared for. Spontaneity reigns. Like, what was it, the beginning of last week, you know, the PGA joined forces with the Saudis. And it's like, what? We didn't expect to hear this today. A lot of things we've heard over the last couple of weeks while on the show or shortly before we got on the show is um, a little shocking, a little surprising, at least for my little mind, tough to deal with. I'm trying to decompress, take a couple deep breaths, rejuvenate, and all these ideas that are complicating it keep coming at me. So we'll see what happens. At least we had a nice, pleasant conversation with Derek LeBlanc about his journey to being an NFL defensive line coach. That was nice and peaceful and interesting for me anyway, and hopefully for you. And night, and, and instead, now i got to consider whether Z28 is going to play 17 games. It wasn't even on the table for me before today. I should have known. We always say, you wake up, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. These last two weeks have proven that. You never know. You never know what's going to complicate my little mind when you get up in the morning. I need a, I need a, a day of knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. No crazy stories. Oh, Jose Arquiti's not going to be back until year 2025. I don't need to hear that kind of stuff tomorrow. We need a, we need a nice... Just analyzing what we thought was going to happen and pretty much along the lines. Nothing crazy. But the way the last two weeks have gone, who knows what what's going to happen tomorrow. Y'all have a nice day.